0: Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet.
1: I, I, I'm i going to reject learning that that was not yeah, that me was too. false news. And I'm going to continue <laughs> la, la, believing because that was my Christmas g- present to myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was Andrew Tate's Christmas yes. present to you. <laughs> This is Hot Buttons, a show about the future of fashion and culture on a changing planet. I'm Christina Binkley. I'm a contributing writer at Vogue Business and The Wall Street Journal. This week, it's a new year and a new chance at making real progress toward a sustainable fashion industry. We'll look back at 2022, make a few predictions about what we think 2023 may have in store for us. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Rachel Kibbe of Circular Services Group is in New York. Rachel, how's it going? It's going great, Christina. How are you? I'm good. And the CEO of Thrilling, Sheila Kim Parker, joins us from upstairs in South Salem, New York. <laughs> Hi, Christina. <laughs> we're just going to keep tabs on your location and your, <laughs> in your house forever. It'll never get old.
1: Well, maybe. We'll just to us.
2: Anyway. To the audience, but not to <laughs> us. To the audience. Yes. The, the
0: newbie will be like, what? Are they Are they still about?
1: talking about this? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, well. Um, you guys, I decided to talk about it. this. This happened last week. I mean, which seems like a million years ago, I guess. But... Vivian Westwood, R.I.P. I thought she would never die. Mm-mm. Right,
1: she had that kind of energy and spirit where it was timeless. Yeah, absolutely. It's so what a true. loss. What a loss.
0: What an incredible. I just can't believe. I, I I can't think of another fashion designer that did as much to impact fashion, and yet actually a lot of people think of her more for her activism. I think
2: that's right. I
0: than her design.
2: She came. I mean her design was almost a means for activism or it was yeah. a means for activism.
0: Yeah. I I knew
2: that, you know, I knew that she originally had that store in London, mm-hmm. that sort of from which the punk movement sprouted, but right. I wasn't sure, I didn't know how that related to the Sex Pistols. And the Sex Pistols were, it wasn't that the Sex Pistols started the store, it was that the star started the Sex Pistols you know and and the punk movement came yeah. out of that and all of her activism came out of that and it's just i don't know anyone who has influenced fashion and activism and music all at once and at the same time and like interchangeably as much as she has
0: for her whole life for her yeah. entire she life she adopted rap ultimately you know i mean she was like into she she was just like into the whole but you know, when you think of her fashion, I remember one time years ago, I was speaking with her partner, um, Andreas Kronhalder, and he mentioned, I was curious because there's so much Renaissance and medieval design in her clothes yeah. that you almost don't notice all that bodice work. And it, may, he, it this was early on when I was writing about fashion, and he sort of changed the way I saw designers' motivations because he said that she got obsessed with that. She was super into to haute couture and you know this handwork and really close careful work but also he said she was she didn't like her breasts she felt that they were too small and that mm. she wanted to enunciate them and those bodices that's what they did and that yeah. sort of generated her interest in in going that direction and i thought that's one of the reasons why i so like women's wear that's designed by women mm. because they're there's something very personal in it that often does solve a problem. It might be their personal problem and you might not share that issue, but yeah. there's always something deeply personal about those designs.
1: That's that's awesome. Rachel, Rachel mentioned her boutique, which was started with Malcolm McLaren, her co-founder of the boutique um, and the manager of the Sex Pistols, um, ultimately. Um, and I love that it started out as a, as a vintage boutique. Like she sold a lot of vintage in the beginning um, and then evolved into her d- own designs. Um, and then, you know, I was reading some of her early comments and I, f- I think she had some of some really interesting early instincts about sustainability. Um, she said things like, I think it's ecologically friendly that, th- that my clothes are expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, um, you know, if people like my so clothes, great. it's good if they don't buy them for six months because then they'll be able to afford them. Um, so she, it was just, <laughs> and I'm sure that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but it is interesting she is tying the that idea of, you know, clothes shouldn't be cheap. Right. Um and it is something that you know you should um you know save up for and 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 buy slowly and 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 don't overconsume. Um the other thing that I love about her is that she found success you know she was she was successful throughout her life but in many ways she had she established mainstream success later in life because I I could not believe she had her first runway show in 1981 which was called Pirates but that was when she was 40 and then she won designer of the year at the British Fashion Awards in 1990 when she was 50 almost 50 and i just think that's <laughs> um, awesome that is
2: awesome and rare
1: yes sadly rare. rare yeah
2: she and and initially like even in 1981 when she was 40 she was she still felt sort of like an outsider and and rejected right. by the press and it wasn't until the '90s that she really started um, becoming a mogul, and she reached forty-five million dollars a year in sales. and And she, uh, it was interesting too because uh, obviously she's totally anti-establishment, anti, like profoundly anti-capitalism, um, really um, outspoken about. Um, wanting to empower individuals to have a voice and fight against injustices, not just climate change, but, yeah. um, you know, um, everything, including human rights, protesting, like actively protesting capitalism. And then she became a dame in 2006. Her earliest clothing was totally rejecting the establishment of the <laughs> of royalty. And then the, like, the queen just loved her. She could, the, the more... More crazy she got, railing against the throne, the more the throne sort of embraced her. But for good reason too, because um, she, you know, her 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 label is actually the symbol almost identical to that of um, yeah. Harris Tweed, which is a type of tweed that came out of um, I believe Scotland and was almost. Um, the industry for it was almost dead until she revived that industry, and because she did, she asked if she could borrow their um, symbol, and that that's become her logo. Essentially, she she put some um, her own flair on it, but um, she um, did. She's done a lot of good for her country and her area
0: of the world. Um. I couldn't help but uh, um, sort of be startled, but I don't know why I was startled by the sourcing journal has a story this morning saying that Adidas is dropping the um, Stan Smith Balenciaga collaboration that they they already sold it into stores, and um, they're just going to not deliver it. And I thought it was curious. I don't know. Did you guys notice this in the story that it says they didn't make an announcement? They just quietly told the retailers, "Sorry, we're not going to." We're not going to do this. I was sort of curious about why they would not, I mean, they made an announcement when they dropped Kanye, right? Right. You're curious about why they wouldn't announce it or why they dropped yeah. it? Yeah. Like, why such a soft sort of just trying to back out of it and go, oh, nothing to see here, <sighs> as opposed to saying, we are discontinuing our relationship with Bal- Balenciaga hmm. because Maybe they are or-
1: scandal prone. and <laughs> Right. Maybe a request from Balenciaga to not make a big deal out of it. Yeah, ter- terms of the breakup, potentially,
0: that would show a lot of respect. For Balenciaga <laughs> and, and caring, really, right? It would have, to yeah, be caring.
1: yeah. I don't know.
0: Right. I I
1: know that they're trying to Balenciaga trying to. Um, we all noticed their Instagram posts and how they deleted all of their past posts and they're not allowing comments. And I'm I'm yeah. I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of over this scandal. <laughs> um, i so do you over are, it. Do you do you, you still um, do you think we should all still care, Christina?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know. I yeah, I do. I think um, not just because of one ad. I think we should all still care because it took them two and a half, three weeks to collect themselves and figure out what they needed to do. And I think mm. that that's a sign of poor leadership. And as a person who's in, interested in investors and investable companies and things like that, I I like to invest in companies that have outstanding leadership. Mm. And that aren't swimming and scrabbling and, and drowning in their own messes. So I'm I'm more looking at the leadership of the company, and that doesn't that's not just Demna. Mm. That's um, you know, are they making wise decisions? Uh, you know, their their first attempt to blame everybody but themselves, which lasted like a week, um, and involved suing a poor contractor. Right. Who is, you know, probably can barely make his rent. Um you know, I just, yeah. So it's more, to more, me, to more, it's a management issue in how they handle it. I think if they had come out and admitted that they made a poor decision in that advertising campaign and taken responsibility for it. And then I found, I guess I had totally forgotten about it until they posted that Cristobal Balenciaga, was that Christmas or New Year's? They they posted on their Instagram a uh, sort of a series of videos of Cristobal Balenciaga when it was his, you know, couture brand from 1960 to 1967, which has nothing to do with what the brand is today. Right. And completely I thought, different. What? <laughs> Right. Are you now going to pretend that you aren't what you are now? Right. <laughs> They're like, remember <laughs> why you love us and why your <laughs> brand has meaning.
2: Like, none of you remember this, actually. And, yeah. and we hardly do either. But <laughs> look over here. Right. <laughs> I so mean, Grahina. the history of the brand has been so far removed from the roots of Balenciaga for a long, long time. Right. And through various different owners before yep. it even became what it is today. So I think yeah. it's a little hollow. It's not yeah. like this brand is has been so deep deeply rooted in its roots up until Mm -hmm. Demna, um, it's a little, I don't know, it feels like, it feels, once again, a a little thoughtless.
1: Mm. So, Christina, for you, what do you think that the brand could do to win your trust
0: back? Oh, now I'm going to have to say something really controversial for a lot of people, but I don't think that you can. <laughs> I don't think you can do that with the current team in place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe maybe they know how to do a total rebrand overhaul. And I'm not just talking about I mean, I'm not even I'm not passing judgment on the clothes and the products that they're making. Like right. I just, you know, I'm That's a fashion separate. journalist. Everybody should make what they, you know, what they want to make and what's selling. Fine. Right. I don't have I don't have a problem with that. Um I just think you know, you've shown such a long series of bad judgment, like you have to do a lot of good judgment really fast. I guess maybe if they, you know, we haven't, it's been over the holidays. It's, you know, it's been, what is it? Two months since this all happened. You know, it's not a great, it's not easy to do an overhaul of your, to do your listening campaign and go out there and work with child productive charities and things like that. But, I think they need to get out there and do that pretty visibly very quickly and not just have that be mm. quiet and behind the scenes. I think it needs to be pretty loud. If not you just look an at,
2: Instagram post
0: of. <laughs> yes. Well, and the fact <laughs> that they still have their comments turned off. Yeah. I mean, so, cow- cowards. I don't know. But anyway, so to say, Bella Hadid posted a photograph of herself from that same office yeah. campaign that had been the second part of the scandal. That was strange. Well, well, the comments. Did you guys look at the comments to Bella? Yeah, people were just not good. Oh my God, take it down! It's a pedophile brand. I mean, I mean, just really ugly, nasty accusations that tell you that the feelings are still alive. Now that was a couple of weeks ago that she posted that, but it's interesting. She has not turned her comments off. She's not. So, and nor taken the post down. So, you know, at least she stands by her. She, so. she has bigger cojones. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> or less. She might be afraid of any contractual obligation she has to have that photo up. Um, you know, I, that's what I'm assuming. But she, she didn't. Is, so she could, I bet she doesn't yeah. have a
0: contractual op- obligation to keep the comments on. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would think they would want her to <laughs> take the comb Yeah.
2: Brain. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That was weird. They're it's, probably asking her, okay, can you turn them off, actually? Can <laughs> you
0: <Yeah. laughs> just down a little bit filter yeah. <laughs> those?
2: At least delete some of the <laughs>
0: worst ones. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, do we um, – anything else on top of your mind? Just shall we move on to the section of the show where we thought we'd sort of reflect a bit on things that happened last year? And um and by the way, I I have to say, as we were pulling this together, I really like the fact that talking about this made me realize that a lot of good stuff happened in 2022 in fashion and sustainability. And more yeah. broadly, just sustainability in general. So um let's start by um well, we have to address the the the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is not a fashion story, although there are a lot of fashion stories happening with it, with Ukrainian fashion designers Absolutely. doing amazing things. Um, but outside of blowing the hell out of that poor country, and I sometimes can't even imagine how they rebuild all that, or the, I mean, that just, I haven't, have you guys seen any estimates on just the carbon that's spewing in the atmosphere from all of that mm-hmm. war? Oof. It must be just. I can't even imagine.
2: Did we talk about this? Um, I don't. I don't remember if we spoke about this last week. But I encourage everyone to watch um, David Letterman's interview with Zelensky. It's really, really incredible. It's done three hundred feet underground in a train station. He went to the Ukraine to interview him in front of a largely military audience, and it's profound and it's amazing. And he is he is. I know a lot of people are saying this. He's like tr- truly Churchillian for like. The way that he is able to speak and convey um, a very um, sort of proletariat message, I am one of you, and um, but also lead is like and be funny, um, and and he's getting interviewed by a comedian who I'm sure he worshipped, so and continues to worship. It's just it's great. He speaks in Ukrainian. Letterman speaks in English. I think there's a translator maybe in the ear um and it's feels like they're both speaking the same language.
0: Wow, Amazing. okay. Um, you mentioned that before and I meant to look at it and I forgot so I'm really glad you reminded me because yeah. I want to see that. that. I watched I watched people were po- people in Ukraine were posting videos of themselves watching his New Year's Eve address. Mm-hmm. Did you see any of those? There was one with a group of soldiers in a bunker somewhere with this truly pitiful and sad-looking Christmas celebration with like a little bit of tinsel and some Tupperware with cookies. And they were standing around and they're watching on somebody's phone Zelensky's address and it's these big studly Ukrainian soldiers. I mean, yeah. Tears streaming. Yeah. They're like rubbing their noses. <laughs> <laughs> it's like.
1: Uh, he can move a crowd. Yeah. He has superhuman instincts. Just not, he's not normal human instincts. Just somewhere from, yeah, somewhere like from. The divine, or somewhere else, he is—he has a vision for how to move and how to act that are um, beyond what um, a normal human um, could usually do in those circumstances. It's really
0: incredible. It's really true. Mm -hmm. When he walked into Congress, I found myself like going, like trying to zero in on that entrance he made when he walked. Into the, into the room with all the senators and representatives in there, I realized that there were people, like, just reaching out to touch his arm.
2: Like he I mean, was in some
0: crowd in the public, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's an entire totally. U.S. Congress, like, ah, fangirling, yeah. fanboying. Yeah, um, I think, I feel like I am still trying to come to grips with how cool... Is the Inflation Reduction Act. Absolutely. Which <laughs> sounds like a completely dirty I wish it had a cool name. It's got the worst name
2: uh, yeah. possible. I know. Yeah. But we love it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not a cool name. It's yeah. <laughs>
2: such a weird name. That helps get it voted. But it works. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but whatever
1: whatever gets the job done.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is without a doubt the most aggressive climate legislation in the country's history. No, it has $374 billion behind it. By many estimates, that will unlock Trillions in additional private capital investment. We're already seeing that happen. A bunch of plants around the country have been announced. I'm hearing people talking about bringing m- way more um, U.S. manufacturing um, in under it, possibly more mechanized um, you know, that I'm hearing textile manufacturers talking about manufacturing textiles in the U.S. It's cheaper to cut and sew in Mexico or Guatemala, but we can use the technology to produce the textiles here. So that's very interesting. It's long-reaching, this act. It will definitely have an impact on reducing emissions. Um, I don't know if you guys ever gotten all tingly about, <laughs> about legislation before.
1: I can't believe, I feel like I still pinched myself that it actually passed. I, can't, I yeah. literally can't believe it. Um, it, it, it didn't, it, it was far from certain. And in yeah. fact, it was, it was everything but dead. Um, and then there was that surprise, um, surprise comeback.
0: Okay. We talked about this a couple times on the show this year, big moves at the two COPs. Um, we got a loss and damage commitment at COP27 in Egypt uh, which I think was um, was like the biggest thing that happened at any COP. I mean, it wasn't really on our radar for going to be the big thing, but it turned out to be. Um, but there was an important biodiversity commitment at COP 15 in Montreal. And I think that was bigger. I almost oh, think, you think that, that was, was bigger? bigger.
2: I think because it was more successful.
0: Even, I think it was more well received. It got it got some headlines. I guess you're right. That was the one that the U.S. didn't sign on to, and I think right. that I feel like that probably clouded my. Feelings about its success. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I still don't know why we didn't sign on.
2: Well, we we claim. <laughs> me neither. But I do know we claim we have the equivalent,
0: whatever that means. Right. Well, anyway. So I mean, I I don't know. Anybody want to sum up? Are we like really optimistic for the next cops coming out of these ones, or no? no? Oh, Rachel shook her head quickly.
2: No, I just don't. I don't. I don't see a whole lot of, especially in in the like. Carbon space, it just seems like there are more um, people representing the lobbying interests that are not there to have productive conversations about what we can do to meet our climate Paris Climate Accord goals in the next hmm. less than 10 years that we need to, to basically save the planet. I don't see like drastic movement coming out of these. Very large conferences that take a lot of money and carbon to get to.
1: So, like Greta Thunberg said, it's more blah blah blah.
2: I yes, whatever Gre- Greta says, that yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's All actually side. let's 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 take a moment of silence for her murdering of Andrew Tate. Yes, <laughs> um, that was amazing.
0: <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> Twitter is still alive, <laughs> but Andrew is not. If there's anybody on this planet that missed that, Andrew Tate is a kickboxer, is British, but he was living in Romania because he was apparently in trouble in the UK or something for, uh, he calls himself a a misogynist, so you can only imagine, but, uh, so he he tweeted at Greta Thunberg, um, some boasts about his huge carbon emissions for all his cars and, and asked her to let him, uh, Email her so he could tell her more. And she responded, Let me see, let me see. So she was like, Yes, please, um, please tell me, email me at smallpenisenergy at getalife.com. Yeah. Small, small dick, dick energy. energy, small, dick, small energy. Dick, yeah. dick energy at getalife.com. At getalife.com yeah. Which, um,
2: and the internet rolled oh. over and died. Yes,
0: yes. exactly. <laughs>
1: and
2: then he got arrested.
1: <laughs> right. Because of his response to her tweet. It was pretty great. <laughs> and
2: and then he posted a video, which was the saddest video ever, um, talking about how he doesn't
0: recycle pizza boxes and he was smoking a cigar. Well, I, you know, I have this feeling watching the news at COP that you're right, you guys, when you say that there's too many lobbyists in there and then sort of everything just slows down and nothing is happening. Yeah. But let's talk about what, what was good this year about fashion. Well, look at, look at all these European and Australia. I mean, Norway – passed that act and started hammering fast fashion brands and mm-hmm. brands that are greenwashed not just fast fashion, but a lot of them that, um, the ones with their greenwash. I mean, greenwashing became a super hot button issue. Yeah. I think be, more so we've been talking about greenwashing for years, Yeah, but I feel like it reached, I don't know if it's a climax because I think it's going to be more so in 2023, Yeah, but people are not having it and governments are not having it, which is a really good thing to say. I wish I could say that in the U.S., but... But um, the UK Competition and Markets Authority launched an investigation into um, ASOS, Boohoo, and George at ASDA, scrutinising their green claims. They have a green claims code now in the UK, which holds brands or, you know, is appearing to begin to hold brands' feet to the fire. Um, The French passed the climate and resilience law. I think that goes into effect this year, right, at some point. I don't know a lot about it, but it's, you know, again – trying to hold brands' feet to their fire. The European Union passed its unfair commercial practices directive. I think that kicks in in another year. It gives brands some time, but I'm already hearing signs that um, European brands are paying attention and realizing they have to, have to, to uh, come to the plate. I think that's one of the reasons, frankly, why that group of Italian brands that we talked about two weeks ago uh, have come together to form a coalition, um because they know they need to support it, you know they need each other's support to meet the demands of the EU. There's a lot. I mean, I don't know. You think I'm wrong
2: to be no, optimistic about right. what's happening? Yeah. It it was funny. Um we were sharing that um poll done by Vogue where consumers apparently are not optimistic about sustainability. Oh, right? Yeah. Um Or they were
1: they were negative about the progress made last year? Was that the, yeah. was that the framing?
2: Yeah, negative about the progress made or or ambivalent? Um, but I actually, you know, I was thinking about this a lot and actually I think it's a good thing because while I disagree with them, I think it means they're interested. You disagree
1: with consumers feeling negative.
2: Yeah. I mean, having been in this for what, 15, over 15 years, I think we've made more progress ever than ever this year. I mean, and I'll, I'll name some of the things I think are indicative of that, but I think consumers are now hip to, like, what a mess we're in. Right. And, of course, <laughs> yeah. like, when you stick your head out, uh, you know, out of the sand and see what a mess we're in, you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. Like, fix it. Yeah. Um, but – um there's so many complexities to it as as you know that's why we have this whole podcast dedicated and uh, and and so um parsing out those complexities and understanding what is progress what's not um, is is very confusing and there's they're also seeing all this um like there's legislative action being taken um by consumers and um uh, you know against brands for greenwashing and so that is um you know, putting a um, microphone where there wasn't um, yeah. in a more significant way uh, and drawing more people into the fold at, uh, to understand sort of the uh, the crimes against the environment our industry commits. But that said, um, I think the industry is like finally facing its demons in, in a um, way that we haven't before. I mean, for years and years, we would have conferences where we would say, this is a problem. We need... Th- there are key indicators that this is a problem. We need to discover the levers to pull to solve for this problem. And that was that happened for like a decade, like that kind of talk and it was wow. exhausting. But Good now, on you that you kept going. I mean, it's uh, yeah, a long time I, to keep going. It's a long frustrated. time. It's a long time to keep going and it's only these small wins that have kept me going and and and, and lots of people who are working really hard to to keep you know, momentum. And finally, this year, I mean, this year for me, when I see like $250 million commitment from AII, HM, $283 million a year now to um, launch decarbonization programs. We had ThreatUp reported 3X growth from 2021 to 2022 in the number of resale launches there, wa- there were. Uh, 2021 had 35 resale partnership launches announced. This year, we had 121 wow. resale launches. And I think there were wow. more, but those are just who they're reporting. And then, I mean, Vestair is banning fast fashion. Threadup is now charging for its clean-out bags, um, calling out <laughs> Shein. Uh, these are actionable steps. These aren't just conferences where people are saying, something needs to be done, and we need to understand more about what the problem is. This is People are putting their money where their mouth is. Is it enough? No. Um, is the progress slow? Yes. Is it very not transparent? Yes. <laughs> but it's like something. Like, we can point to something. We can point to a lot of things. And and policy, too. I mean, we've got two bills. We had one bill passed in California. We have one bill on deck in, in New York, the, the Fashion Act. We have a federal bill, the Fabric Act. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this would have been—if you would have asked me two years ago if we'd have— one bill that was passed for labor rights here in the United States, a federal bill that would um, improve, uh, that would onshore manufacturing and improve labor conditions for garment workers here, and a New York-based bill that has global implications on sustainability in the fashion industry. If you would have told me two or three years ago that this this was going to happen, like this these policy efforts, I would not have believed you. I would have said in the next 10 years, maybe.
0: Kirsten hmm. Gillibrand, are you listening? Will you come on hot buttons and tell us about this? Yeah, the Fabric Act. She will, I think. She, she will. will. I hope so. I hope so. The fabric act, we have to talk about that more because that's big. And that's another one that talks that you know, talk about onshoring more more fashion production. I've spent so my, you know, the last 15 years of my career talking about fashion designers manufacturing overseas trying to design overseas it's a nightmare for everybody it's mm-hmm. a nightmare for the ateliers the designers it's no good for the consumers it's, it's no expensive good for the so really expensive. expensive crazy and we have a we have the capacity here by far i by mean far. we once had a massive apparel industry but i want to ask you something when you're talking about all this I, in, that you've been doing this Rachel for 15 years i just so So when you're like sitting on a plane chatting with the person next to you and you tell them what you do, or when you go into a party where you don't know people and they say, so what do you do, Rachel? And you tell them. That's the hardest Has the response changed from like when you did that 10 years ago and when you do that today?
2: Oh, my gosh. So at my house the other night, I had a New Year's Eve party and someone was telling me about some sustainable fashion thing. And I was like, well, actually, that's my job. And they're like, oh, really? I have people telling me about sustainable fashion before I tell them I work in it, which is like <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I said, you know, there's this thing called ethical and sustainable fashion. It's a movement. People would say, that does, that's not a thing. But that's, that's, that's not, like, how does that even, yeah. no one cares. And now yeah. people tell me and I say, oh, well, that's actually, that's, that's my job. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: Which is great. And then they fangirl on you.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if they fangirl. It's just so big. It's like, oh, of course, yeah. if you work in fashion, you work in sustainability.
0: You know, right, right, yeah, well, oh, I think that's, that's so r- cool.
1: I think that's such helpful perspective about, you know um, putting all the efforts and achievements last year in perspective and just in terms of the long term perspective, there was so much progress accelerated last year, and i'm I'm curious, Rachel, for you, do you feel like that translates to
2: some of the things that you hope to see or that you think we will see this coming year? Mm-hmm, I do. I think that things are really moving now. We have a lot of smart people. We have the um, The financing efforts, the creative financing efforts that are starting to go into this that are a lot of which we probably haven't even heard about yet, that take a while to sort of formulate and get together. I think we're going to start to see some really big – I mean, the fact that Patagonia gave away its company, they were probably planning on that for a really long time. Like, those kinds of, like, whoa. Like these people mean it. They know there's a target on their backs. There is um, consumer pressure. There is regulatory pressure. There is uh, existential and non existential real climate pressure. Like our communities are disappearing. Being in the business of making a product right now is one of the most tenuous businesses I think you can be in because mm. you have to stand by that physical item and. Um, I just think the the gig is up, and people are just trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I think for me, you know, when I think about you know this year coming up ahead, I don't really have predictions about what will happen because I feel like it's just so hard to predict what's going to happen. But right, um, but I have kind of wishes that of things that I wishes? hope will happen. Um, so I think on the resale front, I, I agree. Rachel, you know it's, it was it was exciting to see that ThreadUp report about how many more brands have now adopted resale as part of their business models. Um, 121 brands now, um, and I think that will accelerate this year. I think almost every brand and retailer is already discussing how, if they haven't already announced a resale strategy, they're planning to. Um, and I think you'll see even more. Almost every brand and retailer. Um, announce some sort of resale strategy, but what I think what I hope for, you know, the other piece of that thread up report is how many items are offered across these resale programs, mm-hmm. and they have about 146,000 items offered um, up for resale across 121 brands, which is about 1,200 items per brand, and that's tiny. tiny um, you know, yeah. each retailer makes you know millions. Millions. Um, collectively, right. the collectively global globally. We create um, 100 billion new items of clothing approximately every year. So this is a drop in the bucket. And what I really hope for is for retailers and brands to move more deeply into resale and to make bigger commitments to it, um, to supporting circularity and to um, make resale a more fundamental part of their core business. Um, So that's, that's kind of that's my wish. Um, I think it's a great starting point. They're all experimenting and they're piloting, but um I think so far it's pretty surface and I want the I want it to be deeper.
2: Actually, uh, let love- me ask you a question, Chilla, about yeah. that. And maybe this goes back to some things we've talked about before with between like consumer and regulatory pressure, but like how do you how do you hold brands' feet to the fire to do so, to get yeah. deeper into this and not just use these partnerships as a marketing campaign.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I loved Selfridge's announcement where they said 50% Mm. of our revenues within 10 years is going to come from repair, um, resale, refill, or rental. And I think you really just need to, from the top, make Mm. a commitment. I I think that it's as simple as that. From the top, it has to be a commitment that um, that a core percentage and it has to be a top-line um, uh, revenue goal is going to mm-hmm. come from this program and then you figure it out. And then you work mm-hmm. with you know, your lieutenants and you figure out there's a lot of operational and logistical complexity, complexity as Rachel knows really well. Um, but I think that you have to make a commitment like that from the top, from the board, and from the C-suite. Um, and then the rest of the organization has to figure out the logistics mm-hmm. to support it. Leadership. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Exactly. Exactly right. It's just leadership. I love that. Um, the other thing I, I, I was also excited about, um, you know, I feel like people are being held to task for greenwashing. Um, Google published a study last year that 72% of North American executives agreed their organizations overstated their sustainability efforts. <laughs> 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 At
0: least they're honest. That's, or that's the honest ones. Yeah, exactly. Actually, <laughs> 99.9%. Right, exactly. <laughs> And then there I was mean, gladagonia. that goes back to the
2: whole thing, you know, <laughs> I would, I didn't say when I was giving my little optimism speech is like, it's also, we have to, or someone, I mean, the public can't be totally accountable for this, but there has to be accountability in commitments. Yeah. You know, there have, there have been a lot of big commitments, but then what?
1: Exactly right.
2: So yeah, so I, I, I
1: think words will continue to matter this year. And, um, and I agree with you, Christina, it wasn't the climax last year. I think um, that's still yet to come in terms of accountability for greenwashing, but I think that just continues to accelerate. Um, I hope, um, I don't know if we're 100% there yet, but I hope people will take ownership for their clothing waste. And I think rather mm-hmm. than thinking we can dump our clothes off of at a donation center, um, that we either hold on to clothes for longer, we give them a second chance, we try to work with them, tailor them, um, um, upcycle them, or we try to give them to a friend, or we try to sell it ourselves um, and 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 make sure that that sale happens ourselves. And I think you know taking ownership over our own clothing waste helps reduce um, our consumption cycle because um, you start to take it, you start to take control and and real accountability for your purchasing decisions. Um, So that's my, that's my, uh, that's, that's my, um, that's my last hope for this year.
0: Wow. It makes me wonder, I'd be curious to hear what you think about something that I started to do lately. I had, I, after the pandemic or, you know, and toward, you know, in the last year or so, I've just completely changed the way I want to dress and I've been getting rid of a lot of clothing um, that I've been wearing for—I mean, some of it's expensive stuff that I purchased for my work to wear to fashion shows and interviewing executives and things like that—and just not going to wear it anymore. And I did—I had the Real Real come over several times, and I, you know, I sold a bunch of stuff that they were willing to take, but there was a lot of stuff that they weren't. And I was thinking, oh, I should do Poshmark or this. And I finally thought, poor Goodwill—they're awash in fast fashion. I should yeah. give them this stuff. I know I could make some money selling it, but it's a huge hassle to do that. I don't know, maybe I'm just um, trying to give myself an excuse for taking the lazy way out and giving it to Goodwill, but I have given a lot of really expensive clothing to Goodwill in the last six months. Is that bad? No, the biggest
2: question I get is what should I do with my clothes? And to be truthful, any whether you're mailing it somewhere or giving it to someone, it's all the same routes. Someone's going to try to sell it, whether it's supporting, yeah. whether their profits go to supporting um, job programs, or they're a for-profit public company, they're going to try to sell the good stuff, which is good for everybody that this good stuff gets sold and doesn't go to the okay. trash. Okay. But then the stuff that's not great is either going to be turned into rags and or exported to other countries, and um, and some of the good stuff will too, and. Um, Whatever can't be sold is 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 someone's trash. Generally, some of it yeah. will be downcycled, but we don't have recycling yet, really, at the scale we'll need. And that's the answer. So, whatever is most easy for you and for your life, try not to throw it in the trash. Try to give it another life. Try to get some okay. money for it if that benefits you. But don't be don't feel bad if you're sending it to ThredUp or giving it to Goodwill or sending it wherever, because the routes for everyone is pretty much exactly the
0: same. Okay, so it's not, it's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm probably, I'm, I don't have a lot of fast fashion, fashion to give away, but um, by the way, I also give to Out of the Closet. I don't want to just say Goodwill because those are my yeah. two.
2: Is that like a dress for success? No, it's, it's th- similar to
0: Goodwill, but it's it's supporting um, LGBTQIA, oh. right?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and they have good, and they do, I mean, honestly, and I, I do it because of that, but also they're actually really well run. Mm-hmm. So is Goodwill. I mean, they're two, um, I think they do a good job with, having locations and merchandising them and things like that. I have no idea how they decide what they sell and what they don't sell. I mean, I do worry about... Because we read so much about that they get more than they can deal with and that they're having to sell things off to rag sellers and whatnot. I'm going to make a slightly nuanced
1: um, addition to kind of what Rachel said, which is... I don't know if, you know, I've definitely engaged in dumping bags of clothes at Goodwill. And I think donating high-quality clothes to Goodwill is always great because they're currently awash in very low-quality clothes. And for people who are shopping there for need, um, it's great when they can get access to high-quality clothes. Um, So, you know, it's, it's not really about, like transferring guilt on us because it's not really our fault. It's really we we mm-hmm. got to hold companies accountable for producing so much stuff in the first place. Um, but, you know, I do think that there's an element of being able to take a massive amount of your clothing, put it in a bag and just dump it somewhere. there's a there's an element of it that's like conscious conscious laundering. like we're just I totally know. agree., oh. there is I, I think yes. it's uncomfortable to admit that, but it, there is an element that is, that it it makes us feel better. We don't have to deal with it. It's a hassle, and we just want someone else to deal with it. And what ends up happening, as Rachel, I think, wrote or said recently about, um, you're really just um, conferring on somebody else how to manage your waste. Um, And that's, that's, you know, and I think it is a pain to sell your stuff individually or to try to figure out which friend or family member is really going to use it or to try and figure out, okay, how can I rework this item so I, I might actually wear it? That is a pain. But I think adding more friction at the end might help us um, also add more friction at the beginning and and maybe potentially be more thoughtful about what we consume.
0: Beautifully put. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Which comes back to if you buy less, then you don't have to figure out how to throw it all away at the end.
2: Right. Exactly. And your friends will want it more if you don't want it. (laughs) You know, it's just more valuable, like in the, (laughs) or you'll be able to sell it. That's true.
1: So I thought this was interesting. Printers put out a a, a predictions for, for this upcoming year. And they said for the last three years, their predictive trend report, 80% of their predictions came true, which I was shocked by. What? Uh, I know. I thought that was really I've good. never predicted it. <laughs> but you know what? Actually thinking about if you think about the way people use Pinterest, I'm actually like that makes sense because you people use Pinterest to plan future purchases. Yeah. Right? Weddings, interior design, et cetera. So I thought actually maybe that maybe it is true. I don't know. But um I thought it was one of their one of their predictions that people will mix more vintage um into home decor. Um, they said 850% increase in in, um, in eclectic interior design vintage search on, the, on their platform and 530% increase on mixing modern and antique f- furniture. So um, so hopefully we'll see more of that trend. Um, and then I thought this was fun that they said they predicted Y2K fashion is coming back um, with a roar in 2023.
0: I don't know there are any trends coming around anymore. Do you, I'm completely overwhelmed. I look at trend reports and I'm like, did I read that five years ago, or is this the one that just came across my desk? <laughs> right. I can't even tell anymore. So, 10 million micro trends means there's no trends. Didn't we talk about that a little bit? I think yes. we were sort of discussing that.
1: There's so no many trends,
0: trends means no trends. And then Pan, did you guys see um, Pantone's color of the year?
1: No, what is it? <sighs> okay, it's um, Viva Magenta. It's super huh. red. Yes. Uh, they called it a boundary-less shade that is manifesting as a standout statement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you guys want to—I don't know if you want to say anything. We don't have to do this if you don't want to, but do you want to say anything about your personal goals for 2023? Do you have a good one, Christina? I mean, I yeah. I, I mean, I guess I have a personal goal, and that is to, um, buy very little new fashion at all, like and if it is, it's going to be a really amazing piece. I'm going to take all the money that I might have spent on other things and do that. So that's part of it. But also, I realized that um, I have a husband and two children that I've also been shopping for for years, and um, and I want to instill in some of them some of the sort of the lessons that I've internalized out of talking to the two of you for the last six months, nine months, however long it's been long. Not not long enough, but I've enjoyed and I've learned so much from the two of you. And um, I want to spread it in my family. I don't want to be proselytizing on sidewalks about it because mm. that'd be weird. But <laughs> I, I think I think I have to get that out more in my family, mm. some of whom still buy fast fashion.
1: Mm. Mine were more um, – were not kind of uh, related to the topics of this podcast. My, my personal ones are about – um, I'd like to prioritize health and and mental um, wellness um, yeah. for myself. and um and also, I'd like to say yes. I think you know i f- I often feel very stretched and and um, time starved um, you know with with kids and work and everything else. and um and i I actually want to say yes more to connecting with friends and acquaintances, um, That's a good and, one. and being, um, yeah, I think that, you know, our time is precious and, um, you, I learn that more and more every year. Um, and mm. you really want to be present for, for, um, the people you care about, um, in your life. So
2: those are mine. That's oh, a good those one. Those are beautiful. I think mine is, I want to work more, um, efficiently. like I want to focus on the growth of my business so that I have time to have a work-life balance. Mm. I've spent a lot Mm. of years kind of very busy, very surviving. And um, I think I've gotten to a place uh, where I'm really excited about the work I'm doing, the podcast, the policy work. I have some great clients. And I'm thinking about what I would like that to look like, as it gets, um, as it grows. Um, and what do I, what that would enable for my outside life, because I am a hundred percent a workaholic and, um, and it doesn't work for me anymore. Like it just, I think to your point, Sheila, like life is so short, especially as you get into your, um, forties, you've got all these babies being born and you have a lot of people getting sick and passing away. And it mm-hmm. really gives you this like window of, um, it, there's just like a few years we have to like, yeah, you know, do the things that we love with the people we love, and a mm. lot of times it's not work. And I think that when you think about sustainability, is is the most sustainable thing you can do in your life, right? Um, yeah, you know, ha, ha, be a full full human, which is hard when you work in our industry. It, fashion is cutthroat and and nonstop. Sustainability is the same, maybe worse. And um, you live in New York, and you can get trapped in the rat race. And to what end? I mean, it has to be um, – I mean, I, I think when you work in sustainability, too, you're also a public servant in a lot of ways. And to be a public servant, you cannot be burnt out constantly. Yeah. Mm. Um, like, you have to be available otherwise – because the best laid intentions can go – really wrong. Um, like there's a lot of ancillary consequences to
0: to doing sustainability in the wrong way. Well said. It sounds like you guys are I, I don't want to use the term quiet quitting because it's not at all what you guys are doing, but um, but stepping back and balancing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we're we're
2: we're gonna be skipping the next few weeks of the pod and <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to see God Week.
2: I don't know God. Our producers to. like what? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you guys just had time off, um, Christina.
1: I know you have a really um, you have a burning hot button this week. We'd love to hear more
0: about it. It is on fire, and I want to say that I never watch American football. I am completely a soccer fan. You guys know that, um, but I was. <laughs> I was looking at my Twitter feed last night, and I saw all of this stuff coming across it saying that um, a player that I – honestly, I you know I don't follow football, so I didn't know him. But a player named Hamlin, who's a safety for the the um, Buffalo Bills, had been um, under CPR for nine minutes, was on the field of the game. And I walked out of the room, and I said to my husband, have you ever heard of this guy and what's going on? And my husband was like, what? And turns on the TV. And we then watched – like 2 hours of what is like a horror show of this game with with a you know the Hamlin tried to tackle he's 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 a defensive player he tried to tackle an defensive player um a, in uh, in Cincinnati the Bengals and apparently it looks like he, at the very moment of when they impacted the guy's ch- chest or helmet hit Hamlin's um, chest and caused a heart attack and he died on the field and they brought him back. He's now in the hospital um, and uh, last we've heard, he's on a ventilator and you know, I mean, the game was ended. Nobody knows how they're going to work all that out. They did the right things as much as they could. But as I was watching and reading and thinking about, there was another player, whose name I forget, two o somebody who has had three concussions since September. Um the second one that he had, two months ago, he went down. He'd been he'd been cleared to play. He went down and went into this thing that's called um fencing uh, fencing maneuver or something where his Brain caused his hands to go up like this, and in these weird, like splayed things. Apparently, when you have severe brain damage, your hands will freeze like this. So he's on the football field like Mm. this, and they cleared him to play two weeks ago, Mm. and he landed again and got a third concussion. (gasps) What? What is? Is this some sort of gladiator? I mean, I know I'm not the first to say this, but it's very frustrating to me that we have a culture that is supporting. People being injured—it's awful and killed potentially. It sounded so like they didn't it. make the right decision for too
1: long um, in the game that you were referencing from last night. It sounded like I, I didn't watch it, and I, um, I but I followed on on social media what was happening. But it sounded like it was it was a little bit too long that they and they actually tried to restart the game until the players and the coaches the players said, refused. Yeah, yeah, they said absolutely oh. not and i you know um it it's yes. it's wild to me that uh, i i definitely wouldn't let my sons play absolutely not mm-hmm. um, and um it's 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 hard for me to imagine people putting profits over um people's health and lives but here we are
0: yeah they seem to be encouraging these guys i mean people were saying that the the other player the offensive player for cincinnati was feeling terrible and about this, and you, I've now looked at the at the replay of what happened a billion times. And no, I mean they both did what they're supposed to do. You know, it was an accident. one was trying to gain a few jar- few yards as an offensive player, and the other was trying to tackle him. It didn't look that crazy what happened. It's just that they're trained to put their bodies at risk. The in game is designed are- basically.
1: They were they were playing within the game's design. Uh, The problem is the game's design.
2: Yeah, well said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of people think it shouldn't exist as it is today, right? Just because of the brain injuries alone, right? That can happen not from extreme accidents, but just concussions over time. Yeah. Um, Good hot button, Christina. Yeah,
1: I don't think we can follow that. (laughs) We
0: can't follow it. That's all for the show. Please support us by following us on Twitter at hotbuttonspod and now on Instagram at hotbuttons.pod or send a link to friends or colleagues and go to Apple or Spotify and give us a rating, please. We're also streaming on Amazon Music and we really, really appreciate your support. If you want to email us with story ideas, send a note to Buttons at postscriptaudio.com or leave us a voicemail at our call-in line. It's 508 622 5361 so give us a call. We really like your calls. Hot Buttons is hosted by me, Christina Binkley, Shilla Kim Parker, and Rachel Kibbe. The show is produced by Postscript Media. Our senior editor is Anne Bailey. Our engineer is Sean Marquand. Stephen Lacey, Scott Clavena, and Rachel Kibbe are our executive producers. Postscript Media makes podcasts at the intersection of climate with culture, politics, business, and tech. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logic, Logistics and advanced materials. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch up with you next week and happy new year. I have to say, mentioning Trump, did you guys see he called a press conference and invited all the press to Mar-a-Lago last week? And um, the photograph of him and Melania standing in front of the press that came looked like two people from OWN. Really? Like that was it? Yeah. Um, It looks like what? They looked. Nobody showed up.